Welcome to Study the Word Podcast with your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Together we will discover wisdom that leads to salvation and spiritual growth. Here with today's Bible teaching is your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Well, thank you so much, Randy, and welcome once again to Study the Word Podcast. We are in a brand new series entitled Biblical Worship. And as I mentioned last uh, podcast, uh, there is just so much to talk about when it comes to biblical worship. It would be literally impossible for us to cover every single aspect of worship. But at the same time, as I've mentioned before, the reason why we're doing this series is because there is much uh, to do today, I guess, when it comes to this whole entire subject of worship. I believe there's a lot of confusion, a lot of um, kind of um, apprehension. Uh, some don't know exactly what worship is really all about. There are many who believe it's all about the music. It's about how we gather together and what it looks like on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday. But at the same time, they have real no, no real biblical foundation when it comes to worship. And that's where I'm hoping through this series this will kind of change this. Um, I was just thinking about our God, uh, the one and true and only God. And as I was thinking about today's podcast, I came across the song, which probably many of you are familiar with. Um, It's a song I'm sure you've heard before by Chris Tomlin. That's Chris Tomlin in Is He Worthy? It's a a live presentation on YouTube. But as I was thinking about this, you know, the reality of this song itself and just the style of music and everything, it's very popular. Matter of fact, over 14 million views, but there are those songs out there today that are far above and beyond that, which just blows my mind, but that's the day and age in which we live. But when I'm thinking about this song, Is He Worthy?, it kind of takes us where we want to go today uh, with our study on biblical worship. And um, last time we got together, I talked about the fact that biblical worship, when we talk about worship, we're we're talking about truly bowing down or doing homage, uh, bringing forth reverence to God himself, worshiping God by bowing before him. And I forgot to mention, there is a text I wanted to show you in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And it starts in verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in the front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium, which was made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthias, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, 
Hilkiah, Maseah, and on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Machachai, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Melushum on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And you could read more about that, and I am sure in those names that I've mentioned that were standing up there with Ezra that uh, I probably have misspoken somebody's name, maybe a couple of them, but I tried my best. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted just to focus on the fact of what the people were doing. Uh, it amazes me as I read this, too. We could talk about this another time, that uh, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. But do you realize that he read from that book from early morning until midday? Wow. And the people stood up and listened. And it just it just amazes me of the importance of the Word of God to God's people. But here we see the scene here of them bowing down or bowing low and worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. And we talked about last time we got together what worship is all about. We talked about the the English word worship was originally spelled worth-ship. It meant to acknowledge the worth of someone or something. And um, as I wanted just to bring to your attention the last time we got together, R.A. Torrey once stated, worship is the soul bowing itself in adoration before the object worship. True worship is to God alone by bowing one's soul in adoring contemplation of himself. So today what I want to do is I want to move on in this topic, in this subject, and I really want to ask the question, it may be for some of you, a simple question. You may even wonder why I'm asking the question, but I think you'll understand once we go there. Who do we worship? When you really think about it, who do we worship? Well, the answer is found in many places in the pages of Scripture, but the answer simply is God alone. We're talking about God of the Bible, the triune God, the Trinity, the one God who's revealed to us in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the creator of all things, who was and is and is to come. Matter of fact, God's names are clearly defined within the pages of his book, but we call the Bible. He's not Allah. He's not Vishnu or Buddha or even the great architect of the universe. He is Yahweh, Jehovah. He's also been called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and David, etc., he is the God who's rescued, saved, delivered, justified, regenerated us for his glory and honor. He's done this for his people. So who do we worship? We worship God alone. That is what our worship is all about. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me for just a moment. I just want to look at a couple passages. But in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, we have what we call the Ten Commandments. And listen very carefully what God says to Moses. He says, Then the Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So we are called to worship God in God alone. There are many other places within the Bible, Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 17. Uh, there's also in Psalms chapter 145. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that, Psalms 145, verse 3. And listen what the psalmist says here when it comes to God. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. We know that God is the one to be praised. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the one that we turn to when it comes to worship in our lives, not only individually but also corporately. Now, this is something that I guess many years ago, as I was just really in my own personal journey about this whole issue of worship, when I began to really see the, the worship wars and just how churches were trying to entice people in this aspect of worship, I began to realize a couple things about worship when it comes to the fact that we worship God alone. True biblical worship is not about us. It is directed toward God alone. He is the recipient of our worship. We could simply say an audience of one, and it's not us. He gets all of the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And this is very important for us to understand. When it comes to biblical worship, it's not about us. It's not about focusing on what we want what we desire, whether it be in the style of music, whether it be in the typical type of service that is out there with many churches, whether it be traditional, contemporary, praise, whatever it could be, liturgical, whether it's about the lighting or the way they go about on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday, or at a home Bible study. It's not about what we want. Worship is not about us. It's not about anything that deals with us. True biblical worship is all about God. And here's something I really believe. What we believe about God will also determine how we worship. Matter of fact, if you remember our proof text that we have been using to begin this series was John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus as he's with the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, there are so many things in this passage that are of vital importance to us when it comes to the aspect of worship. But one of the things that really kind of stood out to me is the fact as Jesus is revealing the reality of the Samaritan woman and what she knows and what she believes, Jesus makes it clear in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. You can't worship what you do not know. 
you can't properly worship God. If you don't know God, truly know God, then you can't properly worship him. I find it interesting today that many times within the worship aspect of the visible church, the churches try very hard to do all that they can to appease people, especially the unbelievers. They'll call them the seekers. They will find a way, whether it is through the lighting of the church, the seating, the way uh, they bring about the music, how they do things and their time of worship, and they gear it all towards the one who really doesn't know God. So the question would be posed is, how can they truly worship the God that they don't know? The answer is you can't. And that's why Jesus here says you worship what you do not know. See, if we don't truly understand God, if we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't recognize God for who he truly is, then our worship is truly in vain. It is worthless. It's not true biblical worship. And again, when we focus our time, our attention, and all that we do in this time period that we call worship, God is the one, and him alone, that all the worship is due. He is the focus. It's not about us. This is very interesting. Um, There have been recent studies over churches, about churches and their health, and how strong they have been in the last hundred years in America. And I found this interesting. In in these studies, they have found that the churches that are strong and very healthy are those churches who have defined and also placed a strong emphasis on God, his sovereignty, his character, his attributes, and all that he's all about. And they have purposely geared their time of worship together corporately to focus on him, not on the people not trying to give the people what they may want or like, but to bring about true biblical worship. And that focus of the worship is God himself. Now remember that God is revealed to us in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we are worshiping God, again, God, the triune God is the one who is being worshipped. So I I, I think right there in our study, we kind of come to a point in place where we have to begin to realize, once again, this whole aspect of worship for many in the church corporately is a place where they have already went off the beaten path. For you individually, if you don't understand that worship individually is about God and knowing the God in whom you worship, then you can't truly worship God correctly. You can't worship what you don't know. And so it makes us pause for a moment. It makes us take a step backwards and really allows us to look at our own self and to ask some of the tough questions. Is our worship about how I feel? Or what makes me feel good? Is it about me and the time period and and where I'm at and how I'm doing it? Or is it really truly 
a focus on God, everything that he's about. It's a focus upon what pleases him and what's important to him. And realizing that as I look at this too, going back to the book of Nehemiah, isn't it interesting that Nehemiah was reading from the Word of God from early morning to midday? And during this time period or after this time period, they bowed low to the ground and they worshiped the Lord their God. See, I really believe that through the Word of God, we get a great picture of who God is and what He's all about. The other day I had a conversation with an individual about evangelism and about sharing with people in the world in which we live. And, you know, according to God's holy word, there really is two types of people in the world. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. And I find it interesting that when you study the word of God, especially the book of Acts, and you look at the life of the apostle Paul, When Paul went among the Jewish people, when he was in the synagogue, when he went amongst them, he himself would open the word of God, and he would reason with them from the scriptures, proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and bringing forth the gospel message to them. But we also see the picture, like, for instance, in Acts chapter 17, where Paul finds himself... Um, amongst people at Athens. The Bible tells us in verse 16 that as Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within them as he observed the city full of idols. There there was idolatry everywhere. They were worshiping all kind of different gods. And it says here, once again, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. But he was also reasoning in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And if you remember the story, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be proclaiming a strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Verse 21 says, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. And here we have the beginning of what we call the Sermon on Mars Hill. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now think about this. Amongst all of their idolatry, there is an altar that has this inscription, but it is not mentioning any particular God. It just says to an unknown God. And that was because in case they forgot some God or some deity that they were frightened that this deity would get angry. They were very superstitious. They wanted to erect an altar to an unknown God to make sure they covered all the bases. And this is, listen to what Paul the Apostle says, Therefore what you worship in 
ignorance. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we exist, and even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and Agrippagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now, my point here is God is very clearly displayed to these people through Paul proclaiming the truths about God. See, they're worshiping an unknown God at this particular altar. But Paul makes it clear as he presents God to them, the true God of the universe, the creator of all things, the true and the living God. He makes it clear that this God is not a God who has been formed by the image or the thoughts of men. And see, many of those idolatrous gods or deities with a small g and d that they were worshiping were really truly created by men. Because Paul tells us in other places, as he writes to those at Corinth, there is only really one true God. There are not many gods. There's only one true and living God. Matter of fact, in this passage, I don't have the time here today on this podcast, but if you take the time, there is so much one can learn about God right in the passage that I just read to you. But once again, Paul makes it clear that the one that they're worshiping or the God that they're worshiping, they're worshiping in ignorance. They don't know. So once again, going back to the point, why so many churches, why so many individuals want to somehow create an atmosphere and create a time of worship that is somehow appealing to the person who doesn't know God really doesn't make any sense. See, true biblical worship comes from those who know God, those who serve God, those who recognize God for who he is. Let me bring you to the second point here today in this podcast. 
what does worship do? Now, we understand who we worship, but what does worship actually do? Well, worship acknowledges God's person, his his nature, his attributes, his work. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, just look for just a moment at Psalms chapter 136, Psalms 136. And in Psalms 136, I have written down at the top of this Psalms, genuine worship. And if you go down through that, it really gives us a good understanding about God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, small g, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, small l on the second one, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him alone who does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And you go down through that, and there's 26 verses, but it defines for us the person, defines for us truly the nature, the attributes, the work of God. As a matter of fact, when it comes to worship and acknowledging God for who God is, this should be demonstrated through all of our music. It should be demonstrated through our time of prayer. It should be demonstrated in our offering, in our preaching, uh, in the the service to God, everything that we do. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Remember back to our proof text in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. We must acknowledge God for who he is. We must recognize him. We must truly bring forth to those around us in our time of worship, again, whether it be in our music, in our praying, in our offering, it must be biblical. We, we have to proclaim a God that truly exists, not a God that we make up in our own minds or imaginations, or we create a God for others that would seem to be more accepting. What we have to do is we have to bring forward the God of the Bible. Matter of fact, when we're truly worshiping God, we we are giving honor alone to God for who he is. Not just what he's done, but for who he is. Matter of fact, there's many different places we could turn, but uh, two passages I would encourage you, if you're still there in Psalms um, 136, you might turn over for just a moment to Psalms chapter 145, Psalms 145, verses 1 through 21, the whole Psalms. It is about the Lord our God and his goodness. And it talks about his name. It talks about the fact that he is to be highly praised. It talks about the fact that he's gracious and merciful. He's good and kind. Um, And he's made known himself to the sons of men. There's also two in your Bible if you go to Psalms 103. In Psalms 103, verses 1 through 13, as I turn my pages here, um, but in Psalms 103, you begin also to read from the psalmist who gives us a picture, who gives us a, a, a wonderful portrait of our God and what he is all about. Here the Psalm of David, the fact he starts, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget 
none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds. And you go down through there, but you're getting the picture of what God is all about. Now, remember what I said when I began this series. Uh, it's, It's not exhaustible. There's so much within the Word of God. But the point here is, when it comes to our worship, in every aspect, whether it be private or corporate, everything about our time of worship should recognize God and acknowledge who He is and proclaim His attributes in His work and the fact that God is spirit, the fact that as God is the God of all gods, small g. He is the Lord of all lords, small l. There is none like him. There's only one true and living God. And I think that if we come to that point and place of recognizing this and realizing how important it is, and being biblical and worshiping God in spirit and in truth— that truth part, it must come from God's holy word. And we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed. So God has given to us the truth about himself. So as we're worshiping God, privately or corporately, it must be all about him. Yes, we are the beneficiaries. Yes, we receive so much for God, but the worship time When we are in worship, whether it be worshiping God in prayer, in song, in our giving, in the proclaiming of the word, whatever it may be, it's not about us. It's all about him. It is recognizing God for who he truly is. It's being focused upon God. Remember the very first podcast, I I talked about the preparation time. I talked about the children of Israel before God came down on the mountain. And he came to meet Moses and to speak to the people and them being prepared, them being sanctified and and truly set apart and prepared to experience and to meet God in a mighty and a powerful way. If you remember that in the scriptures, I, I think to myself as I put this together here for this second teaching I began to realize that it is when we truly do prepare ourselves, when we are truly ready to enter into worship, as some have called it, we realize it is all about him. I think so often in the busy world in which we live, and and many of you out there know this to be true, that we come to a point and place of such busyness and such hurriedness constantly in our lives that it's hard to just slow down, take a step or two back, and and really take the time to, to ponder, to meditate, to prepare. Matter of fact, sometimes I find it interesting because I know that koinonia or fellowship is so important within the body of Christ. But so often when we gather together for corporate worship, there is such loudness and so much noise and so many things going on, and yet how often that we forget that we are actually going to come before the throne of God, corporately, or even in our own private lives and our time with God, that our focus 
our attention, everything must be upon him. We must recognize him for who he is and realize that he is worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all of our worship. And he is the one, and he alone is the one to be worshipped. There's so much that could be said about this. And I hope today that we come to a better and a deeper and a greater understanding of true biblical worship. Thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Bible teacher Dr. Marty Minto. If you have questions in regards to today's study or any questions about the Bible and or spiritual issues, then email us at studythewordpodcast at gmail.com. We hope through today's teaching you have learned biblical truths so that you can teach others and defend the Christian faith. Tell others about Study the Word Podcast available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Once again, thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast. Thank you.